Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, April the 1st, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have Dr. Amy Shah in the house. But before we harass her with questions, real quick message. Our 40 days of fitness program is kicking off here in just 15 quick days. This is by far the most challenging program that we have put out yet for you guys. You can do it at the gym. You can do it from home as long as you have a bench and some dumbbells. I think you guys will be very successful in this. Again, it is challenging. We scale it down as much as possible. But again, if you're looking for something to rip your face off in the healthiest way possible before summertime, this would be the program for you guys. If you want to check it out, the link is in our Instagram bio. I'm happy to give you guys a podcast discount code. The site is jeremyscottfitness.com slash 40-days-of-fitness. That is a mouthful. So again, check out our IG. It'll be on our newsletter as well. If you guys are not on there, hit us up. We'll put you on the list. We send out three emails a week every week, and we've done that for the past 13 years or so. And then you guys already know this podcast is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. It's the one thing I take every single day. Obviously, I want you guys to eat real food as much as humanly possible, but I know I'm a realist. Some of you guys struggle, especially with kids, travel, work, you get busy. This is an easy way to cover the gaps in your current nutrition. So if you're someone who can't get six servings of greens in a day, and admittedly, sometimes I struggle with it as well, this would be the thing I would throw into your life. If you want to check it out right now, we'll give you guys a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with order one. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up with the free stuff. And if this is the first time you've heard me say it, or maybe the 470th episode you've heard me ramble on about it, you can hit us up, message us on the contact page, email, I don't care how you get in touch with us. Put a a note in a bottle and send it down the Salt River. We'll grab it. As long as we have your information, we will send you a pack right to your front door 100% for free. Is anybody else doing that? No, but we want you guys to try it. Before you buy it, it literally is the best tasting greens on the planet. And again, I travel with it everywhere. So if you have some summer plans, this is a nice way to make sure you're getting everything you need in while trying to eat as much real food as possible. So again, hit us up. Otherwise, check out the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott, and you get hooked up today. So, Dr. Amy Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So for people listening who don't know who you are, how did you get here? If you want to go background, origin story, go as far back and and go as crazy uh, as you want. Oh, wow. That's an open-ended, how much time do we have? It's up to you. (laughs) I'll give you the very short version and then then we can, you know, kind of piece through things. Uh, The very short version is that I came here to, um, actually to Arizona when I was five years old and uh, from India with my parents. And, you know, we were at the lowest of the low, um, lived in Tucson in this converted motel into apartments. My parents got a job uh, in New York. We spent um, the rest of my upbringing there. And um, I worked myself up. I, I went to some of the best schools in the country, as you know, we were joking about before. Oh, and- Cornell. You ever heard of it? <laughs> That's actually then, like, it's amazing. You're the first, you're not the first person I met, but like very rare you meet someone who went to Cornell and then watched The Office. Yeah. Which is amazing. Actually. Oh, you mean like they just don't even know who that is? <laughs> uh, well, some people don't. And I'm like, how do you not know that? Yeah. Yeah. Andy Bernard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All He's, time. I mean, I, and I was saying that it's so funny because it's so realistic. Um, so 
But when I was at the peak of everything, I had gotten an MD degree, I was double board certified, I had done everything I thought I needed to do to succeed, I was actually at my lowest place. I felt exhausted and anxious and from the outside, and I felt like I should be feeling so excited and proud to be here, but really I just felt miserable and I didn't feel like I was successful at all. Um, And so I spent the next 10 years or so more actually trying to figure out what success really means to me, which meant like health and freedom um, and being able to do our best work, do what we are called to do. And so my career kind of shifted um, at that point. So I still do practice medicine, but I've really tried to, what I call wellness, um, and I only say wellness to just make it so it's in medicine today, in 2022 still, nutrition and gut health and mindset work is still considered wellness, whereas, you know, medications and surgery and treatment are more considered medicine or mainstream medicine. Um, And so the last 10 years has kind of been a journey and I wrote a book and I wrote a second book and um, I created some products and programs and content, things that basically I used to help myself um, and help people I work with. And now I share it with the world. So like, did you always want to be a doctor or is that something like, hey, mom and dad are like, this is what you're going to do? That's funny because, you know, South Asians have a lot of pressure to, you know, be a certain career, doctor, lawyer, whatever. Not, I, not fitness people. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I not get it. fitness people. Yeah. But the thing is, um, the good thing is I was a, f- a female South Asian, which, you know, in my in my family, I'm the first person to ever do a graduate, you know, degree. I'm the first person. My mom was the only person who went to college. Everybody before that didn't even go to secondary school. So being a female in the South Asian world, I kind of had free reign in terms of, um, of course, my parents expected a lot from me and I expected a lot from myself, but it really was almost like that chip on your shoulder feeling. I did medicine because I loved nutrition. I went to school for nutrition. And when I was looking at the prospects for what people after they get a degree in nutrition do, and there were, you know, I looked at the people who worked at as dietitians in the hospital. I looked at people at that time, nutrition was like, you know, not popular at all. Those seem like terrible jobs. Like to be a dietitian in a hospital. It was the most, I literally did an internship and it was like they were, and I know there's people who do amazing things and nutrition is just so hot right now. But back then it was like you wrote prescriptions for TPN, which is total parental nutrition, which is the liquid nutrition you give people when they've been in the hospital for months. Yeah. Um, and the prescription, that was your job to like decide, you know, how much, um, of that TPN stuff that you wanted to, and it was just disgusting. It caused infections and it was, um, uh, it was just like, I didn't even think this was a great way to help people that were just healing from surgeries. Like you're giving them this fake stuff in, this through is their IV. like early 2000s? Um, yeah, this is early 2000s. Yeah. Okay. So, so in 15 years, we've come yeah. a long way. Yeah, long way. Nutrition was really looked down upon people in nutrition school did not go to med school. This was like a completely separate thing. Um, So anyways, I did med school because I really felt like there was some connection between nutrition and medicine. And this seems so obvious right now when we're talking about this, but back then it was not obvious. And when I went into training, I was like, 
whoa, there's no nutrition at all in any of my like classes. There was no nutrition in any of the topics. And the things we talked about in nutrition were very surgical, um, you know, things you help people heal from surgery or you help um, nutritional deficiencies when they're uh, have scurvy or some kind of disease. Extreme stuff. Yeah. It's crazy to me. And we've had, I think we have probably like 15, 16 physicians who come here and train and it's across the board, but if they know anything, they've had to do it on their own. Yeah. They'll say, Hey, I'm an ENT surgeon, but I had this four week course on nutrition in 1996, yeah. which is I'm assuming mostly irrelevant at this point. Yeah. And it's weird that until recently that was never a thing. And even today, how much does like a normal, like if you're going to be an ER doctor, let's say. Yeah. How much nutrition education do you really get in med school? I'm shaking my head because, I mean, things are changing. There's many, many um, schools who are incorporating more nutrition into their repertoire. But let's be honest, um, most doctors are not very knowledgeable as of today um, on you know, nutrition, exercise, wellness in general, most of everything I've learned um, came after my training. Um, But of course, it's nice because there's the gut health research and the circadian rhythm research has blown open the possibilities with food and lifestyle. And for me, it was so great because the medicine is now meeting um, the lifestyle nutrition strategies. And that's something that never was there before. So now we have the data to support all the things that we're talking about here. So why were you into nutrition early on? Like, is this like in your teens, your twenties? Like, cause you're yeah. focusing on it when, I mean, I, I've been in fitness for probably as long as almost as long as you've been in medicine, I guess, yeah. if you will. And I used people used to look at me like I was a crazy person. Yeah. They still do in, in some way, but now it's become more mainstream. A lot of the terms that we're going to share. But why were you into it at a yeah. younger age? Everyone in my family, Jeremy, dies at the age of sixty, and I was just, I just was like confused about what was happening. Um, and a lot of it stemmed around diabetes, type two diabetes, heart disease, um, and I knew that. Some of it was genetics, but I have, I really knew that so much of it was diet. And so I knew from day one when I was super young and my dad got diagnosed in his 30s. Imagine being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It was five brothers and one by one, they all got diagnosed um, because one got diagnosed and then the other one got checked and the third one got checked and the fourth one and they all had it. And it just made me really interested in like, why is this happening? Um, what can we do to reverse it? Because of course they all went into panic mode because in a lot of cultures like mine, um, having a disease is a big stigma and you don't, you know, you don't want to tell people that you need to take insulin or medication or whatever. Um, I mean, much less, let's not even talk about mental health. This is just even physical health. Um, and so it was a, it was a big, big shift in, um, you know, it was big panic. It was a big, uh, change in the dietary habits. And, you know, looking back on it, it's so clear to me, you know, they came to the U S my dad came to the U S in his early thirties, um, try, you know, wanted to assimilate. Uh, there's some pizza hut and Taco Bell there. Do the stupid American shit. Yeah. Like Coke. Um, he was like a big fan of, um, soda. Uh, and we, and we're sedentary all of a sudden. So 
that really changed a lot. So once he found that diagnosis, we uh, started to do a lot more exercise. He got into tennis. I got into tennis. Um, and so it changed my life as along with his. So that's when I got really interested in it. And again, like you said, it was not cool at all. And when I was applying to med school, it really was kind of a, um, like a chip on my shoulder. Like I had to, I had to prove that I was, you know, science based, even though I had come from nutrition school, it's like coming from music school and it sounds so stupid now, but it was like that. Wow. And for people listening, like the type two diabetes, most of that is, reversible mm-hmm. yet it's a major issue in america and i feel like we don't talk about it like we talk about eight million other things oh, like yeah. it's talked about but nobody gives a shit yeah which is strange to me they were saying that i think the stats are like 30 percent of young adolescents have pre-diabetes i mean that's insane to me that there's a reversible disease that you can already detect in young adults and we're not doing anything to stop it in its tracks, you know? I mean, not, and when I say not doing anything, obviously there are many, many individuals doing things, but as a society as a whole, like we're not telling people in high school and college how they're supposed to manage their food and their bodies to kind of change the path of disease. It's weird to me that I mean, obviously like they're going to flag this episode now because I say COVID on it, <laughs> but like we went through all that and it's, it's on a ticker every day. We talk about it and everybody's learning these, I call them buzzwords, right? Or you're parroting information. You're, yeah. You became an expert in, not really, but you became this expert in something over the last two years where you're yeah. saying like hotspots, numbers, mm-hmm. social distancing. You, you learned all this shit in two years yet. We could have took that same time and integrated so many of these basic things and people could have learned them all the same and you could have freaked them out as well and put the heart disease ticker on the screen because somebody dies in America every 36 seconds, I believe, of heart disease, yet we don't say shit about it. And, you know, the crazy thing, just to piggyback up on, you know, decline of health during this time, yes, um, we're now coming out of this, hopefully, knock on wood, we're yeah. coming out of this era Um, pandemic era, but it's really done a number on our health and our mental health. I mean, there's so, I think, uh, anxiety prescriptions have gone up 30%. Antidepressant uh, prescriptions have gone up 20%. During this time, I think it's the unhappiest Americans have been in 50 years. And this is, so not only have we done a number on our, you know, health, we're eating more fast foods, processed foods, staying indoors, but we're also really sadder and more anxious than we were before. It's, uh, it's just weird to see that there's not a, you know, if you really could see it, like step back and and view it, you know, what the numbers really are across the board, like people would be screaming and, you know, I guess panic would be running through the streets, but I don't know if it's a, it's obviously financial incentives from some of these companies that control a lot of things. It's just weird to see where you have these mostly preventable things that people really, they don't spend any time on because we're so busy. And I understand like eating right is really hard. It's a decision you have to win two, three, four times a day, every day until you die. Yet we have more technology. We have more information. We have more coaches. Like what I, what I do now didn't exist 30 years ago, mm-hmm. yet people were healthier 30 years ago. I feel like we're in the Titanic and I got like a, a fucking cup of water yeah. and I'm trying to get water out. Yet this thing is just sinking like crazy. It, it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, and I have to, so just to, just to go back for a minute, I think the problem was with the pandemic for me was that I definitely felt the need to protect 
um, the people who couldn't, you know, necessarily change their diet, you know, in that short period of time, or like, you know, the parents and the grandparents and the people with autoimmune disease and um, surgery. So there was this whole group of people that were really at risk. And it was a very scary time. And then there was a whole group of people that had preventable or modifiable risk factors. And that's the group that we're really talking about that can take steps now um, to change this. But, you know, it kind of, somebody was telling me that this is so true. Maybe it just accelerated the decline in mental and physical health that we were already going to see because everybody's already on this path of um, eating processed food, not getting enough sunlight, not sleeping enough, not exercising enough. And we might have just sped it up. Like it's like a moving walkway now instead of this, you know, slow pace towards um, decline. Yeah, the trajectory is, it was going there anyway. Yeah. I, the example I use is like if my mom, my mom's like, in her, she lies all the time, so I don't know how old she is. <laughs> She's in her 60s somewhere. And, you know, even for me when I go, they're like, well, what medications do you take when I get a physical? Yeah. I'm like, I don't take any medications. And yeah. they look at me like I'm a fucking alien. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't. And neither does my mom, but, but yet she eats right, comes here, takes care of herself. And that's become the rarity mm-hmm. where, and, and I, I don't mean me, I'm like a, a kind of a psychopath, like freak show, but I exercise every day. I get good sleep. I don't abuse drugs and alcohol and I eat right. And I'm looked at as like this super weird thing. That's the problem that we have is like I should be looked at as like a normal person. Yeah. And then what everyone else does is kind of strange. But yet we have this kind of inverse looking glass. And we don't understand the basic things that can make you um, more energetic or happy or more motivated. I mean, you know, and I know from self-discovery or, you know, study research that if you get a good night's sleep, if you get natural light, if you move, if you eat right, you're going to feel more motivated. You're going to do your best work. You're going to feel happy. You're going to make better decisions. But I think the status quo right now in medicine is that a lot of doctors and not everyone are seeing these people that have so many different problems. And it's really hard to fix their daily lifestyle, but it's really easy to give them a prescription. And sometimes um, there's not enough time for them to kind of go into all the details or the patient doesn't want to. And so the system is created. So the path of least resistance is just to give a prescription. And then everybody ends up with like, you know, five to 10 to 15 prescriptions. I see patients every single day still in my practice and literally there's about 15 minutes of um, importing their medications into the system um, because every patient has so many medications and you have to go over each one when you meet with them. And it's really sad because you're right, there's almost no one that has no medications. I mean, that's, it's insane for me. I could talk about this for five hours, but I know you have a time limit today. It's, it's a business. A hospital is a business medicine. Like it's a business model. Like, and if you don't do it and you piss off the patient, they'll go to somebody else who does it. And it's like putting a bandaid on a gunshot wound. The way I think of it, like what you guys have to do and not you specifically, but the medical field, it's way easier to give somebody like this quick fix bullshit than say, Hey, let's overhaul your whole lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Now I have the luxury of doing that here because I don't give a shit if you pay us or not. But I also don't have a boss. There's no shareholders and I'm not responsible to anybody and I can hurt people's feelings and <laughs> it's different. So it's a hard, I get both sides of it, but yeah, the system is definitely kind of jacked. And then you can talk about food companies, alcohol, drugs, all the things that have played into it. But I'll ask this because I want to get to these. If we talk about 
like your mind in the, in the gut and the connection there for people, like lay that out kind of like the basics, but I don't think a lot of people understand like how those two are, are connected. And I didn't either. I think it's very new science. So your brain is directly connected to the gut and the gut bacteria. They're like little creatures. They have personalities. They have food preferences. They like to sleep. Um, they like circadian rhythms and um, they speak to your brain. They literally tell your brain how to feel what to crave, um, and what makes you happy. So you might subconsciously crave something, but it might be your gut bacteria actually saying that to your brain. And it's so crazy to think about it that way. So the way I um, make it so obvious is that there was a study that where they took um, the gut bacteria from schizophrenic people and they put it into mice. And then they took gut bacteria from non-schizophrenic people and they put it into um, a group of mice. And then they mixed all the mice together and they blinded the researchers. The researchers could tell which mice had gotten the gut bacteria from the schizophrenic person because they had they were displaying clear signs of schizophrenia, whatever the mice signs of schizophrenia are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they couldn't do that in a human study because then they were, you know, that would never it's, work. It's a little too wild west. Yeah. yeah. But you can see that by transplanting gut bacteria, you can change a mood disorder. I mean, you can create a mood disorder or take away a mood disorder in a person. They've done that with epilepsy, with anxiety, with depression. So literally your gut bacteria create your mindset. And so I think that's a really powerful thing to think about. So, wow, these little thing, the billions of um, you know creatures that are living there, they're dictating how you feel um, and what you do, how motivated you are, what you're thinking um, on in every moment of the day. And most people don't talk about this. Yeah, because they in our culture, especially over the last few years, we've been talking about how to get rid of every single bacterial, um, you know, trace in all of our bodies like i hate hand sanitizers and i hate all this like oh, excessive everything so much money we spent on all this bullshit yeah. over two years yeah to, like spray down wipe everything and i i'll to piggyback off what you're saying it's the same thing with inflammation like chronic inflammation is terrible however if your body had zero inflammation you would die yeah like something would come into your you would literally drop dead and i don't think people understand that because they just hear these buzzwords yeah and then it stops there because there's yeah. no real education around it no, and people don't even realize that actually when you exercise um, or you sleep or you get circadian rhythms, so I keep saying circadian rhythms, that's basic for people who don't know, it's the 24-hour light and dark cycles that run 80% of our genome. Um, and those gut bacteria, every actually every living thing, even plants, um, have a circadian rhythm uh, and our, our brains are very wired for circadian rhythms. And our gut bacteria have circadian rhythms and they're looking for input from the brain to say, hey, it's daytime, time to digest, time to do your, you know, extract your vitamins, make your feel good chemicals. They make the serotonin, they make the dopamine, they make, you know, all of the GABA. And then um, nighttime, they kind of know, okay, well, it's time to repair, renew, it's time to go. But when we're indoors all the time, we don't get enough sleep, we're eating at like midnight every night your body is confused and that gut bacteria gets confused. And then we wonder why we feel sick and jet lagged all the time. And for people who are listening, how 
important is like gut health in terms of immunity and mm-hmm. your immune system? So I have a book called I'm So Effing Tired um, that came out in March. I like your style, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so it is talking about in the literature, it's very clear that our immune system, our gut um, bacteria, and our hormones constantly are in communication and they're talking to the brain at all times. And so it's not separate systems like, oh, your immune system, you do this to boost your immune system, quote unquote, and then this to, you know, balance your hormones and then this to improve your gut health. And it's not like that. It's not like they're all actually in one place and they're in your gut and they're talking to the brain all the time. So if you have, if what you think is adrenal fatigue or what you think is cortisol issues or whatever, that's centering in your gut. And same with immune issues. If you're getting sick all the time or the other end is you're very inflamed, um, then you may have issues with your gut and most likely you do. And is there like a percentage of like the immune system that like resides in the gut that they yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, it's like 80% of... It's the, yeah. almost the whole show. Yeah, the whole show. Yeah. Uh, so I guess how does it affect, I guess, people? I guess I'm sure it's across the board in terms of like mood and energy. Is that yeah. like the first place you tend to look if someone comes yeah. in and says, hey, man, like, and again, there's obviously, um, there's going to be outliers with everything. Obviously, there's like certain like diseases or mm-hmm. syndromes. Yeah. That, I'm not saying that. But someone comes in, they're like, you know, mentally, I'm, I'm a mess or physically, I feel like shit. Do you look at the diet and kind of what's going on with the gut first? The gut is the center of our energy. So that's what in that book, I basically say, and I'll tell you, Jeremy, it's so funny. When it first came out, um, the criticism that I got was that hey, you're talking about gut health and eating healthy and circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting and sleeping. Like, where's the magic? There's no secret here. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. You have to understand how your body works. There's no secret. There's no supplement. There's no superfood. And there's no um, procedure that's going to shortcut this for you. You actually to actually get true energy, it's not coming from coffee even, it's not coming from caffeine drinks, it's actually going to come from improving that communication between the gut bacteria and the hormones, the immune system with the brain. That's the crux of it. Weird. If you exercise, get good sleep and eat right, you feel better. Yeah. Like I, we say, all, like we don't sell anything here. Like yeah. I might present things and market things and if people choose to buy it, but I sell the worst service in the world. I've said this before. First of all, if you come in here, you do these terrible workouts and then you have to do them. And then, oh, by the way, you have to eat all this stuff when you're at home. We don't cook for you. We don't eat for you. We don't do the workouts for you, but it's the only thing that works. If I knew something easier, I would sell that shit, but there's nothing that is going to work long-term unless people are willing to change the lifestyle. And it's, it's hard. It's a hard ask. I get it, but it's the only way. It's the only way. It's a hard ask. Like you said, people want a secret. They want that book, The Secret. The reason why it's so popular (laughs) is because everyone wants to know a secret shortcut to doing the work. And you, I, I know you know this, and I know this too, and I learned it such the hard way, is that the shortcuts are the long way and the wrong way. And the, the right way is the slow and steady, the grind, the daily, every day, choosing the right foods, doing the right um, things. So that's why I talk about circadian rhythms a lot because I feel like, well, if you just simplified it for yourself and said, okay, my brain and body and my gut health works on this day and night cycle. And one of the easiest things I could be doing on a daily basis is to sync my body better to that. Um, that itself could create a change, like the first step, um, in creating a change because then it like, 
you know, then you do habit stacking. You basically say, okay, well, I went for a morning fasted walk around the block. Okay, now I feel better. Uh, maybe I'm going to start eating healthier when I break my fast. And maybe now I'm going to be, you know, go to bed earlier so I can go for that morning fasted, you know. And I felt like that was a way for people to kind of get started with a small step. It's tough because our whole culture is, it's the opposite of that. Like we get so busy, we're so inundated, the fight or flight, we experience it like multiple times a day instead of like five times in our life, like maybe on the Oregon Trail. Like, yeah, it would suck. Like, you know, Jake got bit by a snake and he fucking died. But that's like, it's not like you're getting attacked by a bear every day. We are dealing with this every day, all day. And now with technology, it's a a whole different rabbit hole. Like we're so inundated with so much all the time where eating and sleeping and taking care of ourselves has become like number 15 on the list of things to do and it should be number one. And I think, you know, hustle culture doesn't help that because when I was a young mom, a physician, uh, uh, I got, I became a partner in my practice. In my mind, I was not allowed to sleep or to have time for myself because that would mean that I wasn't hustling and I wasn't trying to, you know, balance it all or be, and that was selfish or that was, you know, and that's the narrative that still runs there. And yeah, people talk about doing self-care, you know, but that self-care is not like they say, self-care is not, you know, bubble baths and taking a, a spa day. It's about building this life that actually is sustainable, that you actually enjoy. It doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to have a schedule that is on the computer for, you know, 15 hours a day. And then if you're eating in front of your computer and if you stay up late at night, you don't get enough sleep, that's considered hardworking and basically given a medal in our culture. Yeah, we used to, um, two of my good friends work with me for a long time and we we're like in our 20s, you know, dudes in their 20s, the dumbest uh, creatures <laughs> of, of anything that exists. And we used to say, you know, we'd wear it like a badge of honor, yeah. like who could stay up later yeah. and, and I could always gut it out more. And yeah. we would joke like sleep is the new broke because yeah. we're trying to build this business and do things. And th- I physically can't do it anymore. Thank God yeah. my body's like, fuck you. And, and yeah. so yeah. I had to learn it the hard way. But a lot of people, it's, it's tough to get out of that because we, we do make it this, it's like a metal yeah. in the world we live in today. So if I keep asking the gut stuff quick, uh, leaky gut. Yeah. Like when people say leaky gut syndrome, like what is that? How does somebody diagnose it? And like, what does it really mean? Or, or how does a person know like they have it or something similar to that? Yeah. Leaky gut is kind of the colloquial term uh, for intestinal permeability. So there's no such thing as a leaky gut, but what, what they're getting at is that the tight junctions in your gut lining, um, sometimes get damaged and loosened. Um, and more things are allowed through than they were before. So if you imagine this, that gut bacteria that I was telling you about, literally, you know, that's communicating with the brain and getting all this, um, you know, balancing your hormones and producing all these chemicals, they um, are a very thick lining in our gut. They kind of are the protective army for things. but as we start to say you take antibiotics, you're um, really sterile, you're not eating a lot of um, fresh fruits and vegetables, not enough fiber, you deplete this gut lining, which is you know 97% of Americans, and you're left with just that one layer of cells that our own body has um, to protect itself from our bloodstream. And so that one layer of cells can get damaged by the food we eat, by the medications we take, by the toxins we're um, ingesting at all times. 
And that's why people when uh, will develop, you know, we don't know the origins of autoimmune disease just yet, but a lot of our, um, autoimmune disease starts there. A lot of food sensitivities, um, a lot of um, GI issues, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, things like that start because you've depleted that gut lining, you've damaged that one layer of cells that protect you from the outside world, um, and now you're getting the symptoms of that. So if you think about it that way, when you start to replete your gut lining, you start to eat better, you start to not use things that kill the gut bacteria so often, um, and you start to notice, oh wait, those food sensitivities that I used to have, they're going away. Oh, now I don't have IBS or, you know, all my autoimmune symptoms are now so much un- like they're under control or even, you know, it's hard to say reverse, but some people will feel that way. And you can like change the entire trajectory of your disease by changing that gut lining. And you mentioned 97% of people don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. Is that what you mean? Fiber. Oh, Jesus. People don't eat any fiber. No. What's the RDA? 25, yeah, 30 grams? Yeah, I think grams? 25 is the RDA. Men and women are different, and as it yeah. ages, it, yeah. it changes slightly. But the normal person eats, I think I read that, like 10 grams maybe? Yeah, 10 grams. And it's like um, there is the bacteria that I was telling you, they have personalities and they have food preferences and cravings. Their food, their entire food is um, fiber. So they die if you don't give them enough fiber. So when they look at hunter-gatherer societies that tend to live closer to how we used to live, maybe, um, they see that they have, you know, three times more diversity in their bacteria. They have the number and the diversity is insanely higher than ours. And what they're saying is what, and they have found evidence of mummified people who they've looked at, you know, I don't even know how they check for that, but they can see that their gut back, their guts could handle a lot more bacteria than our modern man can. And so what we're understanding now is that some of the advances in medicine that happened, um, have been detrimental to, um, our gut bacteria and the implications are now becoming obvious, the depression, the anxiety, the chronic disease, the autoimmune disease, um, and all of it is kind of coming to a head now. And I don't think the, and I'm, I'll get to the fiber thing and we'll talk about poop if we have time, because yeah. I'll get back to it. Cause uh-huh. it, it interests me and I've done a lot of, I guess we call it research yeah. uh, with it and talk with people about it. But if somebody's gut is, it's trash, obviously to reverse the course of action is stop obviously doing the things that are toxic and, and detrimental to it. But you mentioned like resetting and I know you mentioned like, uh, like fasting, like yeah. with the circadian rhythm to kind of reset that. Yeah. Can you explain like what that is for people? Intermittent fasting can mean so many things. Intermittent fasting is like saying, Jeremy, tell me what exercises. And you're like, well, what kind of exercise? What's Who's the, the person? What's the goal? Yeah. What's yeah. your goal? Like what? So that's what intermittent fasting is. Um, so I like to be much more specific. I like to say that, hey, you can fast for three or five days if you want, but let me tell you about a type of fasting that anyone, even a beginner, even someone super busy, even someone who works um, insane hours, has kids, whatever, um, can do. And it basically goes around this idea that you, not only your gut bacteria, but your, you know, your entire genome and every cell in your body has a clock. And so if you give yourself a break from food, which seems so obvious, Jeremy, like 
give yourself a break from food at night um, and then eat in the morning, maybe a little bit delayed, um, you can actually really help reset that gut bacteria and also help the clocks in your cells reset. So circadian fasting means using the sun and the darkness to kind of um, help you time your fast. So way I would think about it is um, stopping your meals about two to three hours before bed will get better sleep. Um, you will be able to digest better. Most GI illnesses happen uh, or worsen when you eat late at night, you know, reflux, um, IBS. So you want to give your body a nice enough break. You can do even an earlier dinner. The earlier you move up dinner, the better it is for insulin levels um, and gut bacteria to reset. So early dinner, and then you go to bed, have a good night's sleep because that's super important uh, for energy, gut health, all of it. And then you wake up in the morning and one of the first things you think about is, hey, how am I going to go get some natural light and some movement and before you eat your first meal? And if you think about evolutionarily, that's what we would do. Like nobody rolled out of bed and had orange juice and a like pop tart, right? Like dog, they... dog shit. I mean, when, <laughs> when I was a kid, like, or I'll give an example quick. If I, and I'm not a fan of Starbucks, but it's the only yeah. coffee place open when I come to work. Yeah. And I'm too lazy to make my own. Uh, so it's like 5 a.m. or like even before like 4.40. It'll be some lady ahead of me who's like, can I get a caramel frappuccino and a blueberry muffin? And yeah. I'm like, your day is screwed, lady. Yeah. Like, and that's what we're doing. But we're waking up, like obviously sometimes before the sun, which is, it's not ideal, yeah. but here's the hustle we live. Yeah. And then filling our body full of shit. Yeah. That's the recent. We didn't yeah. do that for 200 years. No. And we didn't. Uh, and then when you get into work, um, I've, t I've coached a lot of really busy people. And I'll say to them, maybe take a phone call outside. Maybe you just walk outside for a few minutes once the sun comes up, you know, when you get a chance, get some natural light. And it was like revolutionary to them, like that they could step out of the building and they were allowed to be outside. I mean, people will look at you like a, you're a freak. Everybody, you will get looks like especially in places where they're not used to people being outside or whatever. You're not in a prison though. Yeah, it's okay, everybody. It's okay. Yeah. And, um, and you know, do, you know, taking a phone call outside, doing your, whatever it is and getting some natural light. Like it's really doesn't need to be, you know, three hours. It can be up to 20 minutes a day, you know, and that could be enough to help you get better gut health and better energy. And then you go on with your day. So circadian fasting is literally just, you know, timing your meals in accordance to sun and dark. So you don't want to eat too late at night. And I'm not a fan of fasting too long into the day uh, for most people. And I find that because uh, most people's digestion is peaking, you know, between noon and six o'clock. And so you want to have the majority of your food between those hours. So those people who kind of like um, don't, aren't seeing results, maybe think about moving up, um, you, the time you break your fast. So I often say to people, you don't need to fast for insane amounts of time. Um, there's a study that looked at just 13 and a half hours of fasting. And that sounds stupid, right? 13 and a half hours. That's like, you know, seven to nine 30 or something. And that's, uh, or seven to eight 30 actually. Yeah. Um, and that's not bad, but most Americans are not fasting for that long. They're not even fasting for the eight hour. They're fasting for only eight hours, if that. If they sleep eight hours. Right. And they're, because they're having their last glass of wine or dessert literally right before bed. Sleep, wake up, Pop-Tarts. Right. Boom. So there you go. 
It's crazy. Like I do the opposite. Like we started, I mean, probably I've been fasting maybe 13, 14 years. I yeah. think lean gains was the first. And then I wrote, yeah. I wrote my first piece, I think for muscle and strength, maybe 2011 or 2010. Yeah. And I used to do, we'd started like 10 to six, 11 to seven. I move it later yeah. from my lifestyle at works. Cause I'm not going to eat at four in the morning. I want to kill yeah. myself. And here I'm too busy. So for me, it works better later in the day. But what you're suggesting for a lot of people is if, if things aren't working, you kind of move it with the lighter. Like I typically eat like like one meal a day now. That's just for me. I'd never recommend it for anybody else. And I'll do it still like maybe six o'clock or so. Yeah, that's fine. But for a lot of people, you're saying like maybe just push breakfast off instead of 6 a.m. Eat at maybe yeah. 10 a.m. Yeah. And then eat your normal stuff in between there. Right. I'm a fan of like, again, giving the body a rest. Cause you think about like this system you have, you have essentially 25 feet of intestines and then obviously your colon. And if you think like the food you ate at 6am, like eggs, chicken, whatever is broken down and liquefied within three hours, like you're fucking crazy. Yeah. Like that's a process. And yeah. if you never get, it's like to me, and obviously the body's not a car and people like talk shit about that reference, but that's the way I think of it. If I left my car run yeah. all day, every day, it's not good for it. Yeah. And the body is, is similar. We need to reach I mean, we do that with animals and children all the time. Like if they're not feeling good, you kind of notice that they're not eating a lot. It's your body's signal to concentrate on healing rather than digesting, right? So it's like almost opposing forces. So when you're healing, um, you can't be digesting at the same time and vice versa. And so if you think about it that way, you should give your your body a time to heal every night um, if you can. And I'm curious about your schedule. So when you say you eat only one meal a day, are you literally eating nothing all day except for that one meal? I'm just yeah, curious. Oh, Matt. Pretty much. You're doing OMAD. Yeah. Um, I used to, I did two meals for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just how I train and how I go about it, I don't like to have anything like in my body really. Yeah. And so if I have to, like what I'll do is if I'm like starving or I just, I feel like I need it, um, maybe like as I get home, I'll do something in a, in a bigger window of maybe two or three hours. Yeah. Um, but it'll be like, it's usually liquid nutrition or yeah. something like simple. Like uh, I do like the Koyas, yeah. those plant-based yeah. protein uh-huh. drinks. They're yeah. like cocaine. Yeah, they are uh, really They're good. super good. I'll do basic stuff that way. Because what I would find is if I would eat and then train, my body, it's too much to digest yeah. as I go through. So then I'm training and I'm like, I'm burping or yeah, I feel like I'm yeah. going to like shit puke yeah. really, uh, which is not a good yeah. uh, scenario. So I do feel better that way for, for a lot of the people that we talk to, we say whether it's two or three meals, whatever it may be. I was, I used to grow up in that thermic effect of food bullshit yeah. where it obviously like it's real, but if you're going to, you know, I'm going to burn five calories when I eat, but I'm going to eat 500. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's counterproductive. Right. And I always felt like, sh- cause I grew up in the bodybuilding world. Right. Yeah. So this, this constant feeding, I always felt bloated, um, my digestive system never ran right. Like how I go to the bathroom was just, it yeah. was not pleasant. Like nothing, I, it just felt so like unnatural right. uh, to eat that way. And this way I feel like empty most of the day. Yeah. Like I feel lean, I feel strong, I feel like yeah. I have energy. And I don't think people realize when you eat food, there's a system there. Like your digestive system is working. So right. if it's working there, I feel like I can't focus as well. Yeah. And my workouts suck because my body's taking time to do this thing when it needs to be pushing a sled or push-ups or whatever it may be. 100%. I think women are a little bit different because of our hormonal status. I know we were going to touch on that, but just you talking about OMAD, I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's probably, it probably works really well for you, but I think for women, it can be a struggle. Like for, uh, especially women in their, uh, that are cycling that have a menstrual cycle they have times of their hormones where they're really sensitive to stressors and 
um, not eating to the body sometimes feels like a stressor. And that stressor can be so much that it can turn off that ovulation cycle. And so a lot of women in the fitness world or people who have a lot of stress or are doing intermittent fasting in an advanced way will notice changes in their cycle or will even notice a skipped period or will notice very, very severe PMS. And a lot of that is because we are wired, whether we want to be or not, we are um, wired to be quite sensitive to stressors at certain parts of our cycle. And if you give yourself an exercise and a fasting and a life stress, which we all have anyway, um, sometimes that's too much for the hormonal system to handle. And then you'll get the after effects of that. Well, I've had uh, some women on here. I think Ashley Weens, she's like uh, competed for, for many years. She's a pro. I mean, shredded like, yeah. you know, like Skeletor uh, in the most beautiful way yeah. possible. But she's like, yeah, I didn't have a period for five years. Yeah. Five years with, with nothing. And that's obviously that's super extreme. But even my wife will be, you know, and she shares this all the time on the podcast. So it's cool. Uh, <laughs> she'll always tell me, and now I think she's tracking it now. So she yeah. knows like when her cycle starts because she'll obviously be not as kind to me uh, yeah, as yeah, normal. Yeah. But then her cravings for food yeah. tend to be out of control. Yes. So if that's going on, do you say just you kind of give into that and kind of just do what your body is saying? So that late luteal phase, so what, that's um, the medical term of like the week before your period. That's going to be the time that you feel the most sensitive stress because your hormones have dropped estrogen and progesterone are at their lowest level. And that is a time that you will feel, um, people will feel sometimes angry or sometimes sad, moody, whatever. It's your serotonin um, is low because of that uh, low uh, estrogen progesterone. And so sometimes what you're craving is actually serotonin. And your body knows that if you eat simple carbs, you'll get a bunch of serotonin made fast. And so once you understand that, you realize it's not that you actually want to eat those food as much. It's more that your body needs um, a little pick-me-up. So you can get a little boost from, you know, going for a walk or eating things that have high protein and, um, and if you do eat carbohydrates, just make sure they're high fiber, um, high protein meals so that you're not just spiking your blood sugar and then you're on a crash again for that the full week before your period. And that's going to give you those mood changes. Um, and it's going to make it very hard to fast if you're constantly giving in to those um, cravings because what those cravings are coming for, from is your need for more serotonin in your brain. Yeah, and usually what she'll say is like when it she'll go, oh, I started, and then she's like kind of back to, I don't want to say normal, but yeah, she just yeah. seems more not like such a serial yeah, killer. because now your hormones are back up to the places. So I always tell people like during that week, you probably don't want to intermittent fast very aggressively. You don't even want to train at your most aggressive level. So, and that's, you know, your wife or this, um, you know, bodybuilder or athlete, your highest level may be very different than the lay person, but you know, you want to train at medium or lower level during that week. And then once you get your period, you're pretty much back to your usual self. You can go back to your fasting, your exercise and your nutrition. Um, but that week you probably want to concentrate more on the self-care act activity. So it might, for me, I switched more to doing like the nature walks or the hikes at, rather than trying to push myself on the fasting, on the exercise and, um, and even planning stressful activity, like, you know, work activities. Like if you can really tr uh, put in a little bit of white space, which I never thought was allowed in my schedule, um, it can actually kind of decompress things and help with that, with that stress, um, resilience uh, the, that's lower during that time. 
That's crazy to hear because, like, as a dude, obviously, I just do what I do yeah, every yeah, day. We yeah. don't have, but it'd be like if our testosterone went from eight hundred to sixteen hundred yeah. in a week. Like, you'd be, we'd be fucking head button walls and exactly breaking shit all the time. Exactly, it's really, it's really like a big shift every single month, and I think that people need to know how to manage. It's not a. I think back, even when I was training, it was like talking about periods and hormones was like this voodoo medit you know like nobody wanted to hear about it nobody wanted to learn about it it was so complicated it was just you know out of um out of the realm for most people but now i realize that it's just a cultural issue like if we really taught your our wives our daughters our athletes our people how how to better take care of their body they could get through that week like just that information for me oh, okay, my serotonin is really low. I need to do things to help boost it that don't involve um, a cake. Um, And that helped me a lot. And that helped me to realize that's why maybe I feel shitty about my life, you know, during that time. But things aren't as bad as you think because then the week after you're like back to normal. And there's really no education around this. No. That I've seen or seen or heard really. No. And unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people end up going on the pill which is oral contraceptives, just to make it more even. Um, but as you know, there's always, always... Um, there's a cost. Yeah, there's yeah. a cost to evening things out because your body was doing things biologically and we're learning now crazy things like um, that when you kind of blunt the hormones like that, it even changes the interactions from with males and females in terms of like animal mating because men sense the hormone levels of women through pheromones. And if you take oral contraceptives and you kind of even out your hormones, your pheromones also even out and you're not sending out the signals that um, biologically that you're supposed to. And women tend to be attracted to different people, you know, because their hormone levels are changing. I mean, there's, no shit. there's a lot of... So you um, might like marry some dude you don't really like and then yeah. obviously you get off it and you're like, yeah, this dude sucks. Yeah. That's crazy. It literally changes your brain. Um, and it... We're so just, some dude might just get really lucky. Right. Yeah. So we're, yeah. just, we're just learning now that there is... There are negative things that come with it. It's not something that somebody... Every single woman should be doing. Um, there are other options and uh, that's a whole other discussion. But. And when you mention it, um, if you're going to eat, like, again, for these guys, so the protocol is like, hey, you know, it's okay to eat, you know, during this time, maybe take the workouts easier, uh, not fasting is crazy. And if you're going to eat, you know, carbohydrates, if you can eat them with the protein, which we typically recommend, but have them be higher uh, in fiber. And you say that, and for me personally, this is probably the most carbohydrates I've, like, ever eaten um, in my life, but I'm eating so much fiber, I'm, like, the leanest I've ever been eating this much food, which is... It's fucking crazy, and it almost and I've been doing this for a really long time. It almost kind of freaks me out. Where I wake up every morning and I'm like, "You just ate hundreds and hundreds of carbohydrates," and I'm like, "You're shredded." Yeah, which is kind of cool. Actually. That is cool. I think carbohydrates in our culture, fat gets a halo, and carbohydrates gets like this negative connotation. When it's not like that at all. There's no such thing as um, fat. I'm the same way. I think I I really learned to be low carb for so many years. And I felt like my energy levels and my fitness wasn't as good. Um, and as soon as they started to add the high fiber carbs back, 
things change in such a positive way. And I'm like, why is everyone so into this whole low carb thing? It's like, I guess it works for some people, but I definitely feel like higher carb works better for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's, it's obviously the most easily overeaten of all the yeah. macronutrients because it's in everything other than basically meat and water. Yeah. But I think sometimes we confuse, oh, well, Pop-Tarts, Sour Patch Kids, Starburst. Yeah. Well, that's one thing. But if you're eating, I do like the kind products. I think they yeah. do a good job. Yeah. So it's like, you might, it might be granola, but it's like, yeah. it's flax, it's chia, yeah. it's malt, it's barley. It's still sweet enough for me because I'm not eating cookies all day. And, and it kind of does the job. And you find yourself not overeating on that stuff as much because obviously if you're eating something that has, you know, 40 grams of fiber in it, it the, the, the outcome is not great. Right. If you're eating four grams and you go to 40, like you become this fart monster and you yeah. shit your pants. <laughs> so and again, it's more, it's way closer to real food. I mean, it really is. They're just packaging it. So I always say you, you'll self-regulate on real food where you tend not to on the processed shit. 100%. Um, they actually did a study on this. They took, they this. I have no idea who would volunteer to the, do this. They must have paid them so much money. They had people hospitalized and two groups of people and both of them got the same uh, calories of food, but one got it in process form, like a muffin in a, a like a, one of those like plastic packs oh, yeah. and you know everything was packaged and processed the other group got um the same calories but in whole food form so they got like whatever oatmeal for breakfast and then they got like a, a whatever you know non-processed food and they found that the group that was having the processed food asked for 500 calories more of snacks like they were allowed unlimited snacks and okay said, the the processed food group just wanted more food like they were hungrier, they were craving more. And I mean, it makes, we know this, but they had to, like they proved it in a in patients who were hospitalized and they had access to nothing but what they were asking for in the, in the rooms. And so I thought that was so fascinating, like 500 calories more per day by eating the same food, but in processed form. I mean, there's a lot of X factors that we don't even know about um, with processed food. It's like I, we always call it like overfed and undernourished, right? Yeah. Like oh, where yeah. there's no micronutrients in a lot of those foods or very minimal. Yeah. And I always tell people, if you were to take, you know, 2000 calories of real food uh, that aren't like, you know, insanely, you know, dense where it's like chicken, broccoli, asparagus, cauliflower rice, you got to eat a shitload of that yeah. to get to 2K. Yeah. Now, if you say, hey, here's pizza. You could get there. Yeah. Three, four slices and you're good. And I'd still want to eat four or five more slices where I've never been like, you know what? I need 20 more spears of asparagus. Yeah. Never been said. No, not, not, I by, don't think anybody's not by a normal seen. human. <laughs> and now being on the manufacturing side, so I was, for people who don't know, I was sharing with Jeremy, but like, uh, you know, I have this chai mix latte that I um, created and it was so crazy to see that, okay, you can put all these spices and the tea and the coconut milk, right? And then there's these options of putting in every kind of emulsifier, preservative, color, and flavor. I mean, you could literally create a Frankenfood. Um, right there. And, yeah. and people are selling that. Like, you, I don't understand. I get the I get the incentive. If you sell a Frankenfood, then you can trick those gut bacteria into craving more. And they can tell your brain, like, hey, I want more. And so, of course, that works great um, for the food manufacturers. Uh, and we know emulsifiers, and we know that, additives have that effect on the gut bacteria. So I can see why they would want that, but we need to know about that. Our, my next book is actually, 
I is going to be called I'm so effing hungry because I'm going to be telling people the secrets of that we should all know that they know that you could take a food and make it super delicious, so delicious that um, Jeremy and I won't know when to stop and we'll keep asking for more and we won't even know why. Well, I think people are confused. They'll say, you know, sugar is, is the most addictive thing ever. And it's not true. Like where you don't just snort like table sugar or eat table sugar. You know, it's not that great. I go, but when you, it's the whole profile, like the food profile, the color, the flavor, the texture, when you mix fats, sugars, Mm -hmm. salt, sweet, crunchy, soft, hot, like that's what it is. And it it does, it's your, you become so addicted to that. You're, you're chasing multiple sensations. And I think people believe like, Oh, you know, it's just me. I'm like, you think these companies hire idiots. They hire the smartest people in the world and they spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars on like just chip thickness right or and then they they bring people like maybe me or you in and say well jeremy ate 14 chips at this thickness but if we make it this thick we'll eat 22 chips and like it's profitability it's really one of the from a business standpoint it's fucking genius but it's like don't tell anybody what those tricks are because if they know then they're gonna be on to us right that's that's the crazy thing is that and for me i like I don't think you need to understand every little detail about, um, you know, uh, mouthfeel and um, addictive qualities of food. But if you understood that these are some of these pathways, I'll give you just one example. Have you ever loved some food so much that it's almost a discomfort feeling? So for example, I would say something you crave so hard that when you're eating it, it's not pure pleasure. It's almost like you feel uncomfortable um, eating it. That's a, a dopamine response to a food. That's a craving response. When you feed that dopamine response, you almost don't, it, it's almost obvious because it's not um, the best feeling. It's actually kind of a feeling of addiction and craving, which is when am I going to get more? Oh, I shouldn't be eating this. Oh, I want more. You know, it's a kind of an uncomfortable um, feeling. And a lot of people can see, oh, they feel that way with like, say, baked chocolate chip cookies or, you know, people can French fries or something where you almost, um, that's a sign that you have maybe a dopamine reaction to that food. And it just makes you want more of that. And you crave more of that because cravings and dopamine response is not necessarily 100% pure pleasure. It's almost like this, um, like wanting and a discomfort. Well, I think a lot of people like do experience it. I mean, even for me before I was, let's say this version of me, yeah. uh, let's go back seven, eight years. Uh, those little terrorists, uh, the Girl Scouts, yeah. like you show up at your house and like, here's the cookies. Now I just pay him to leave. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, like we would buy him and you find yourself where I'm not eating just like three or four or a whole sleeve. I eat a whole box. Yeah. And I, what I'd have to do is I would literally put them in the trash and spray them with Windex. Yeah. Because if they're in the trash, like two hours later, I'll go back in and reach my hand in there and I would keep stuffing my face. And I'm like, I know I shouldn't be doing it and I'm already full and I don't need it. But it's like, it's just like this compulsion that just takes the, over your body. This is... um this is the the example in my, actually, I just finished writing my second book and that's an example in Sex in the City. They have a Miranda uh, takes a cake and she actually like puts it in the garbage and like puts dishwasher liquid on it um, just so she won't have any more. And so many women can, men, women, you know, can relate because um, even my kids, so there's this, these rolled tortilla chips from Trader Joe's. I think they're called like chili corn chips or like a tacky, um, like dupe and apparently like somewhat healthier version. 
But my kids, I told them about this. I tell them all about this food addiction stuff. And they said, I think I'm kind of like addicted to those chips because once I they're in the house, all I think about is like when I'm going to get them next. And I was like, it's good. See, this is why we need to educate our children about this because they need to know that. Like they need to know that the reason why they're addicted, they keep thinking like it's literally intruding into your thoughts that you want to go and have another bowl of these like chili corn chips. And so it's, it's knowledge is power right now that you can say, oh, even at 12 years old, you know now that maybe those are foods that you don't really want to bring into the house because you don't have a really great relationship with those foods. Well, that's why I try to be like transparent on here with people so they don't think I'm just like a, some serial killer robot <laughs> who doesn't crave all this. Because I like all the same stuff. The I guess the gifts and the curses, like my body just started to say fuck it to so many things. Yeah. I had to like literally, I mean, I've done elimination diets like three times in my life for the past probably 15 years uh, to find what things are going wrong, which it sucks ass admittedly. Like when yeah. you really do it, I go, but I feel way better knowing yeah. like here's, and then now it's like the decision I make is because, well, I'm not willing to feel like shit today, the next day and the next day where if your body is more, I guess, resilient than mine, you're willing to kind of tolerate it or put up with it. And you, you keep staying in this, addictive feeling like shit life cycle and i tell i say this most of the time i don't think the average adult even knows what feeling good is like and what i mean is i don't think they've went three days in their adult life and just ate protein produce and water in a row yeah it's very rare but you know jeremy it's hard i realize okay if you've ever had a cheat day um or a cheat meal or whatever you want to call it free day for sure um the next morning you wake up and you want to eat again because your blood sugar is now on this roller coaster, right? Oh, yeah. So a lot of people, the reason why they don't do that is because the first day or two is really traumatic. I mean, you're going to be going through... It's like detox. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy hard. And I never used to do kind of these free days, but it's really dialing in my fitness. And so I thought, oh, I'll give myself one day off. But the next day was terrible. Like I woke up and I'm like, I just want to eat again. Like I don't, cause your blood sugar is like now crashing. So you want another, you want something to help it up. And it's really hard that day to kind of like normalize by late afternoon, by evening, I kind of normalize. Um, but for most people who've been doing this for a long time, it's going to take days. I'm going to ask, you got a timeline. I'm going to do, can yeah. I get 15 more minutes from Yeah, me? sure. Cool. Okay. So if we talk microbiome, but specifically kind of like the gut microbiome, and we're talking, I don't know, what is the number? Trillions of bacteria, yeah. something like that. How important are, I guess from people who, that's a buzzword now because everybody says microbiome, every con yeah. artist on the internet. <laughs> yeah. um, just if you break it down, like the environment or how important are prebiotics and probiotics like to the gut? Great question. There's a new study that actually changed really how I think about it. So they did a study where they actually tried to piece out, is it fiber or is it um, fermented foods that were making the difference? And people, you know, we know that uh, we don't eat either enough of either, but they did a study where they took people and um, they had them on either high fiber diets or um, high fermented food diet with like six different fermented foods being the high um, group. And then they just let them eat normally to compare it with a normal, you know, regular diet. And they found that there was benefits definitely from the high fiber diet uh, from the baseline. But the real difference happened in the people who are eating high fiber, but they were also eating 
six fermented uh, up to you know four to six fermented foods a day and when you say that for people sauerkraut yeah. yogurts pickles sauerkraut kimchi apple cider vinegar oh. um, gouda cottage probiotic cottage cheese uh probiotic yogurt so if you look on the package uh you look at the back and you'll see either a name of bacteria like lactobacillus or it'll say live bacteria because there are things that are fermented like pickles that sometimes don't have any live bacteria. So you want to read the label and make sure. Because you want because like most pickles are bullshit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to have the they're ones. F- they're fake as hell. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're, just because you have added vinegar doesn't mean it has live bacteria. So like Same when, with cottage cheese and yogurt, by the and way. And like uh, the kombuchas. Yeah, like where kombucha. I, I do like the uh, GTs. Yeah. The synergies the, yeah. with the chia seeds in them. Yeah. I'm addicted to those things. Those are, I know, they're, kombucha to me is like crack. It's like soda. But those would be considered like two servings, one bottle, right? Yeah. So getting um, four to six servings is not that hard, you no. know, if you think about it. Um, so they found that it... Of course, the six, uh, six probiotic food um, group was high fiber in itself because to eat six probiotic foods, you're going to have to have fiber in it. Um, but they found it to be even more beneficial than just the high fiber, which changed my practice a little bit because I think I was eating a fermented food, but I would recommend people having one or two a day. But I really upped my own um, intake of it. And it's easy if you just... Um, buy a couple of things um, that are in your staples. Uh, So probiotic foods, super important. Notice I didn't say probiotics pills. Um, Pills don't do the same thing that the um, foods do. Our body's really smart. They know to break down pills. Do you recommend Um, a probiotic supplement? I I recommend doing the foods. Yeah. Only because... But if you're a complete lazy ass. Yeah. If you... It's like saying, um, you know, like you were just talking about athletic greens at the beginning of the show. Uh, you should yes. still you should still eat vegetables. You should still eat your vegetables, but if you want to, if you're too lazy, yeah, I'm trying to be a realist. Yeah, here. yeah. But the problem with probiotics is there is a little bit of a downside because they found that people who had antibiotics, they put them on high dose probiotics because they thought, oh, it will help them recolonize. It actually hurt the recolonization process no because shit. it's like saying. Um, your own, you want your own garden to grow, right? Like you don't want to throw seeds that are going to compete with your own, um, garden. So it's kind of like slowing down that process of regrowth. So we don't want to just give it, you know, randomly to people who don't really need it. So you eat all your probiotics. So I eat them. Yeah. No, no supplements. I didn't. No, I don't take any supplement. I'm very anti-supplement only because I feel like when you, there's so much data, that comes out 10 years later about supplements that will say um, well, it's like a 70 billion dollar industry yeah. yeah did you hear about metformin it it like people take it all the time for longevity and now they said that it basically changes uh, like people who are trying to get pregnant men who are trying to get pregnant had a 30 percent increase in birth defects in the metformin group who were, and like people take metformin like it's candy now in the longevity world that's um, crazy and so we just always are finding out things and i just feel that you may think something is super safe like i take vitamin d for example and i'm always thinking to myself like i'd rather eat my vitamin d but i supplement because i'm low yeah. um but I know with supplements, this happened with vitamin A. This happened with vitamin E supplementation. You can't um, take a supplement and think that it's not going to have other effects on your body, like you know, increased uh, rates of cancer. Or um, so that's why I'm much more of a, a eat real a food. Food, but of course, there's some high quality probiotics. Go for it. It's not like you know, 
not as we know up in 2022 there's nothing that we know that is bad for you and then prebiotics are really the main factor so if you believe if you understood that study that i was telling you about that you don't want to just add probiotics to your gut your gut garden is unique so if you want to grow your own gut garden because everybody's got like yours and mine may be completely different and they can both be healthy so prebiotics is food for that gut bacteria it's literally like we were starving that gut bacteria and now we're feeding it food that it likes and it loves prebiotics prebiotics are special basically anything that's fibrous like the fibrous part of broccoli even spices actually work as prebiotics for the gut so now they're thinking that part of the reason spices are really good for you is not only they're antioxidant but they actually feed that good gut bacteria as prebiotics and so you want to eat tons of vegetables um, tons of fibrous um, foods even oats and carbs can be um, high fiber prebiotic foods and um, that actually is even more important um, than the prebiotic foods Interesting. Yeah, I try to do, uh, I, I drink almost those GT Synergies like every day. My wife yeah. likes the Kavitas. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Kroger, is it Kroger? Has a simple truth one that's sugar, very low in sugar. I think it's made with a stevia. Um, and if you are, con- if you're watching your sugar, people who want to try that one, that's a good one too. You just want to make sure that you're taking one that's not adding um, you know, there some of them, some brands add insane amounts of sugar. It's like more than a juice. I know. I think the GTs has 16 grams for the yeah. bottle. Uh, and if I wasn't working out hard, I guess it would be a problem. But yeah. Like, I don't eat, I don't eat shit. Yeah. So and to me, that's super sweet though. Cause I'm yeah. not, now if I go eat like cinnamon rolls, yeah. that thing tastes like shit. Right. So I try to do, I kind of plan it. And then obviously I, I do like the kind stuff because I do like what they do. I don't eat dairy anymore. Like yeah. zero. Um, and I actually feel a thousand times better. Like, across the fucking board which is insane um yeah like because i just noticed like i would eat stuff i don't want to waste a bunch of time on this but i would almost like i like my nose would run yeah or i'd feel like i had mucus developing like at this and i go that is an external thing i'm feeling so what the fuck is going on inside and there was like 14 other indicators but once i kicked that i I did start getting into the the kind stuff but i've always done chia seeds and uh flax seeds too at a pretty good clip and again, for the omegas alone, but the fiber content is is pretty much unreal. Those are easy things to add. And so if we're on the kind of probiotic fiber kick, obviously it's vital, but the average person doesn't need a ton. Uh, in terms of gut health, like how important is like fiber for these guys to be eating and for just like and regularity too? And not that we have to talk about shit for the last 10 minutes, but <laughs> I don't think most people know what going to the bathroom should feel like, like the consistency yeah. and how it should be because their diet is so garbage. And I will say when you, when I change, like take dairy out and do other things, you notice a change like in bowel movements and, and how you feel like overall. Cause most people, I don't think I've researched all this. How many times does a normal person fart in a day? How many times <laughs> they take a shit in a day? And, and while that might be disgusting for people, I go, because I have so much body awareness, it's super important. Right. It's very important. I mean, it's not every single person on the planet does it. So it's not like well, there's, a bo- that- there's a book. You familiar? everybody poops oh yeah yeah exactly. it's like it's, a, like it's like for fifth graders yeah it's and it's it's true because you really do need to know how to be regular and a lot of people rely on insane amounts of coffee or um outside supplements to get them to go uh, on a regular basis and it's uh, often to do with the low fiber diet and not enough water and so you're ending up 
not like killing your gut bacteria and being dehydrated at all times of the day. So I think even changing those two things can help um, change. And the dairy thing is so true. I think every single person should do an elimination diet to figure out how their body functions without gluten, dairy, sugar, um, at least those three, if not, you know, adding in eggs and uh, nuts and the full elimination because it's just knowledge because your body may be very different from the next person and you need to know how and I was the same way as you I I I actually was sensitive to gluten and dairy in the sense that when I took them out of my diet all of a sudden all of these things that I had been complaining about went away and that doesn't mean that I'm never going to have either of those I still have them I just know that I can't have them in high amounts and in, uh, in processed form because my body doesn't react well to those things. It's weird because I cut out most like cheese, uh, no yogurts, no cottage cheese, nothing else, no like real cheese, even though like I'm from the Midwest, like yeah. fucking cheese curds, you know, yeah. but like even butter. Uh, that was like putting on steaks and different things like really was causing like issues and there'd be other things like uh, even like perfect bars which those things are fucking oh, great yeah. but there's dairy in them yeah. uh even like the power crunch bars which are like kit kats like a healthier version but they're like eating crack i mean yeah. there and it just really was messing me up so i started to kind of dump them and since i have you for a couple minutes if we're talking elimination diet for people who are listening and maybe they feel like um complete shit because i've done this a couple of times how do you suggest like they start? Because it is a pain in the ass. It is. Like to, to try to really do it and start from like, I mean, I'm literally at the Mayo Clinic. These guys got tubes up my ass on the fucking screen. <laughs> and it's like they blow your stomach up with air, you know? Yeah. And then like they look at everything and then like, do you want to excuse yourself to let the air out? I'm like, dude, you just had a camera up my ass. What do I care? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they walk you through like, here's what we would do. How what would you suggest to people or like, how do they even start that if someone's listening, like, I feel like trash. Yeah. I don't know where to begin. That's a really great question. Anyone can do an elimination diet at home. Uh, it's l- l- the easiest thing you could ever do and a great way to start if you're not sure where to go with your symptoms. You don't have to do a full elimination diet on day one, you know, at your first at your first go. You could even just take out all white sugar, all gluten, and all dairy as a t- uh, as three thing, a three food elimination diet to start to see where you're at. And then a full elimination diet would be milk, egg, wheat, soy, peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish. Um, and that would be a full six food elimination diet. Um, and that one is a little more in depth. You probably want a doctor to kind of check. You know, you don't necessarily need to do that. Uh, if you don't have a problem, you can if you want. But a three food elim- elimination diet is very, very useful for a lot of people. Now you can throw in any other foods that you're suspecting. Some people say, oh, corn, whatever does this. Or like almonds. Yeah, yeah. You can throw in any of the ones that you sense a a sensitivity to, but those three foods plus whatever you want to add and you do it for about a month because you won't really be able to see the difference in a day or two or three, even, even a week. And then after the three to four week elimination, you add back each food one by one. The thing is, you don't want to just go back to eating the way you used to eat because you're not going to know what happened, which food was the culprit food. You add one food, you wait three to four days before you add the second food group. And that way you can catch um, which foods you're sensitive to. And for me, that was very, it was very clear that both gluten and dairy um, kind of reignited some symptoms in me that I didn't want. And it 
like I said, it's more knowledge about your own personal digestive tract. And remember that once you start to build up that gut microbiome, once you start to eat more fiber, eat healthier, do the circadian, sleep more, control your stress, you may be able to tolerate things that you never were able to tolerate. I would have never been able to do a probiotic yogurt or cottage cheese back when I did the elimination diet because my gut was like completely torn up from all those years of training and abuse and high stress. But once I built that up and I actually rebuilt my gut bacteria, it's actually much easier. Now, people are always asking me like, how do you know if you have a good gut bacteria? The problem is, is even today, we don't accept in experimental settings. We can tell if you have really bad bacteria in your gut or something is very wrong. Yeah. Uh, but there's no like standardized, well-studied uh, way to know if your gut bacteria is at optimal or, or it's almost like fitness where you can keep getting better um, and there's no right or wrong. We know when it's very wrong, like you know, people have major digestive issues or they have bad bacteria growing in a way that causes so many symptoms. Uh, but you are, we're left in a place right now where we have the research, but we don't yet have an easy diagnostic tool to tell us like, hey, how are we doing on this? Like there's no check as of today, but I think some smart entrepreneurs like that really want to help people in nutrition will say, hey, let's help people monitor this so they can see their own self. I mean, there's companies out there, there's great companies out there that will give you feedback. But there's not one shot. Like there was, there, there needs to be like an iPhone kind of breakthrough in the gut health world where everybody kind of has an answer to how they can help themselves or like, you know, the, the brand that really comes through with the product that changes things for for that industry because it's still like archaic to yeah. really how we do it i mean i've done it a handful of times and it's a pain in the ass to do and it's it makes it hard to be a normal person go to restaurants when you go to the grocery store you're reading everything which i think there should be a certain level of auditing when you eat anyway if you really want to feel good but i know for the average person who's not a you know a psychopath like me like it's it'd be it's tough to do yeah it really is very, hard to navigate it's very tough and to not know what's happening in your gut because people come to me about with food sensitivity testing and I tell them this is crap I mean food sensitivity testing has been shown to um, not really tell us anything um, maybe I'll say gluten and dairy but that was going to happen if you did the elimination diet anyways yeah, for you most know people. so you're not going to be um, you just spent you know four thousand dollars and you learned nothing uh we're going to take a picture fast, but I want to ask yeah. one more thing before I get you out of here. I'm sorry if you're late to your meeting. Because um, I could talk to you for like four hours. Yeah. This is good shit. I'm going to bring you back on for sure when you have more time. Um, when you're, when I would your, love that. When does your new book come out? So when uh, January. Okay. So that will come. Cool. We'll get you on before that so you can pump yeah. the shit out of it. Yeah. Uh, booze in the yeah. gut and like cannabis, weed, any of those things, do they yeah. negative, positive? How do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, alcohol has gotten a really bad rap Uh with. Oh, it's good for you? Awesome. I'm giving away yeah. whiskey to people yeah. here. Really irresponsible. It's, I mean, it's it's the same thing as sugar. Tequila is like the same thing as sugar. Like, you don't really want to have it first thing in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, before bed. You know, that's when it causes problems. But if you're controlling your intake, you look at the longest living people in the world, they're out, they drink alcohol. Um, so abstaining in, in, in moderation. Right. Yeah. Abstaining from alcohol is not necessarily the bulletproof answer. Now, our relationship to alcohol is extremely poor. 
Um, we have very bad emotional regulation around alcohol in this country in, in general, even more so than Europe, for example. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that is an overriding factor here. Uh, it is clear that very small amounts of alcohol can be great for your body. Um, but even moderate to uh, binge is very detrimental to your body. So before they used to think moderate was like uh, uh, three to five drinks for women and five to seven for men. Now they found out that it's probably even less than that. It's more closer to the three for women and closer to the five for men because they're seeing that even in moderate intake, there's negative outcomes um, sometimes. So if you look at these countries, like I, I don't know if you've ever been to Spain. I, I just yep. went to Spain. Barcelona. Yeah. They, Costa Brava, yeah. They, I mean, their pores are like one-third of a glass compared to what you get in the U.S. And so you can imagine that even if you had one at, dinner, that's probably not going to equate the amount of alcohol that we have in America. I'm not even close. Well, we always double it here. When someone says they drink four glasses a week, we just say eight Yeah. because <laughs> Americans are full of shit. And, oh, yeah. and when you're going to pour at home, it's way different than if you go to like Capitol Grill or somewhere else. Right. Like we're more generous with what we do. Yeah. Generous is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. And is there an effect like uh, cannabis in terms yeah. of the gut? So there is, you know, I have to say that I'm not the expert on that, but I do know I know it fucks with sleep for people. And people say, like, well, I fall asleep when I take edibles and, like... Yeah, I've it helps done, them their sleep. I've it done helps many, them fall asleep. I've done many a drugs. So, yeah. yeah, I'm familiar. I yeah. go, however, I feel like... And I've done, you know, a smoked weed. I've, I've taken edibles to go to sleep. You do fall asleep. I go, and I'm going to be completely honest, and, and I hate to say this because I've been a, a weed fan since I was a little kid. Yeah. It, I feel way better when I don't do it. Like, yeah. And I wake up feeling way more refreshed. I feel like my sleep quality is 10 times better. The smoking is a problem. The smoking part of it, um, as you know, even with grilled uh, or with smoked meats and smoked foods, the smoking part of it is um, creates these hydrocarbons, yep. uh, basically kind of like pollution, like black smoke into your body. And there are lots of negative effects of that in the lungs and for cancer, for brain. And so the smoking issue is... Um, the same as it was with cigarettes, even though there's no, you know, nicotine in, um, in marijuana. But when it comes to actual CBD or, um, or marijuana that's ingested, uh, it doesn't seem like there's negative effects in terms of like the gut, at least not as of now. And like I said, I'm not the, I haven't like looked at that research uh, for a while. So I could be because the liver breaks it down. Yeah. It's his different system. I go, but yeah. for people, if, if sleep is vital and the sleep latency becomes shittier because you're, you know, taking, you know, cannabis to go to sleep, I'm sure like in a roundabout way it affects, but not directly like where if I have four glasses of wine, right. That's going to be a real problem. Right. And we, and the problem with our world is that we love to escape. Um, and that's my problem with drugs is that I think that you know, we all are looking for, not we all, but a lot of us are looking for a quick escape from our problems, right? Nobody wants to sit with their problems. Nobody wants to be alone with their own self. Like it's really scary and negative. Um, and so all of these things are kind of ways to get out of that. Like and ma I, masking problems. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I don't love it because I feel like even with alcohol, like I hate the fact that you really were 
not in your own self, like you could, didn't have control over your own mind during that time, especially when you overdrink. Um, and so I think that that's something that we have to actually really think about in our culture because we're really addicted to escaping all the time. And most people, they are on their phones, they're on the internet, they're um, working in the sense that they're not even thinking about what they're doing. They're just kind of go- going through the motions and then they're escaping with TV and alcohol and drugs. And then they're escaping on the weekends with their partying. And then they kind of start the cycle again on Monday. It's uh, I could talk to you for 10 hours. Dude. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll this bring is you, fun. I'll bring you back on. Thank um, you. Will, uh, where can these guys uh, stalk you at? Uh, name the books on here. Yeah. And then uh, we'll take a photo and I'll get you out the door. Awesome. Um, my website is amymdwellness.com, A-M-Y-M-D-M-N-D, and then wellness.com. Or you can go to fastingmd on Instagram, or I'm amyshotmd on Twitter and Facebook. And my books, so my book, I'm So Effing Tired. Actually, the paperback edition just came out um, this past week. The, uh, the I'm So Effing Tired, it's such an interesting story because it came out and I had all this pressure to make it amazing and popular and really didn't go as I wanted. And then a year into it, and it got named um, Fortune's Top 5 Business Books of 2021. It got, um, uh, I mean, the accolades that I got uh, later uh, after the expectations dropped was insane. It was such a great lesson in patience and not pushing, like, you really can't push anything to success. You really have to give it time and air and patience. And if it's meant to be, uh, the message is meant to come out to the world, it will. And that's what um, has been really awesome because people have given me such great feedback. Uh, the Audible version is probably the best version. And, and then Am- uh, Amazon? Amazon. Cool. Uh, or any bookstore. And then I have a new one coming out in January. So that's a, the... The cycle of books are is insane because it's already written, but it takes like six over six months to publish. So yeah. that one's going to come out in January. And the title is? That's going to be I'm So Effing Hungry. I like that, dude. Yeah. Um, Mind, but gut, brain connection. I'll bring you back on uh, before that for sure. Um, but this is good stuff, dude. And by the way, her Instagram is awesome. Uh, I don't Thank say that a lot about people. I don't like Instagram oftentimes, <laughs> but yours is, I, lo- I trolled through it the other day for probably like 20 minutes, just going back on your clips. Like it's all bite sizable, usable stuff. It's, it's basically like the kind of nutrition version of like what we do, yeah. um, with movement. And, uh, there's a lot of really good tips, a lot of gut health stuff. Um, everything you do is great on there. So it's Thank awesome. You. I appreciate I this. Appreciate that. Um, I'll put all her stuff in the show notes. You guys, uh, you can stalk her, um, on Instagram, ask her a question. Just don't be a creep. Always just I ask. <laughs> uh, and again, if you guys want to check out our 40 days of fitness, the links in our IG bio, hit us up. Or if you want a podcast discount code, and if you guys want the athletic greens, I'm happy to shoot you a sample. Um, she's got a meeting to go to, but we're going to take a photo and get her out of here. So again, thank you. Thank this has been you. awesome. Jeremy, this um, is awesome. And if you guys are on Apple Podcast, drop it a five star, leave a comment. Same thing on Spotify, hit it up and uh, give her a follow. It's definitely well worth it. And uh, she'll be back here um, before you guys know it. So until next time, everybody, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.